1957, Arizona-born country singer Marty Robbins released a song entitled The Story of My Life. A brisk two-and-a-half-minute single, Robbins sang a doo-wop-infused country ballad that landed him his third number one single in two years. Robbins was creatively unfulfilled with the success he had amassed, however, and dreamed of a greater concept, specifically a Western record, that didn't rely on the pop sensibilities or the country tropes that he had become known for. While driving through El Paso, Texas with his wife, Robbins began feverishly writing out the aptly titled song that would go on to become the biggest hit of his career. In 1959, Gunfighter Ballads and Trail Songs was released on Columbia Records, peaking at number 6 on the Billboard 200. Robbins recorded the entire record in a single 8-hour recording session, and his unique vision, one of a far-off land in a long-gone era, proved to be a critical and commercial classic. Sixty years later, the masked Orville Peck filled the void left by Robbins. Despite Peck's mysterious persona, he has become thrust into the spotlight on a global scale. His debut record, Pony, provided thought-provoking songwriting and a digestible and appealing aesthetic that has reintroduced the Western sound to an entire generation. Pony is a brooding, complex, and desolate album. But above all else, Orville Peck's debut is an art school album. You've been riding, baby. You've been coming around my door. Oh, no. The light's been out, though, baby. Not the long, long gone. A little over a year ago, I sat in the WCRX FM 88.1 studios with Jake Klingensmith. And we talked about Weezer's Pinkerton and how it was the predecessor for incels in the music industry, Rivers Cuomo, and his weird obsession with, uh, with young women, perhaps. And uh, ever since then, the show has evolved into a really beautiful concept. And now we're at the one-year anniversary show of the Art School Albums Podcast. And my guest today is someone that when I recorded that first episode, I thought in the back of my mind, man, I'd love to have this person on the show one day. I think uh, no matter what, I think that would be an interesting conversation to have. And I am happy to report that that person is now on the show. My guest today is Madeline Pitt. Madeline, how are you? I'm good. <laughs> Madeline, uh, you don't sound thrilled to be here, but uh, we're going to power through. Is that all right? Yeah. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> You are someone, I believe this is your first podcast. I think that's a safe assumption, but uh, not only have you had a conversation with Mark Marin where he yelled at you about not really knowing a lot about cassette tapes, you are also well-versed in the music podcast genre by choice, mind you, because you are someone that is deeply familiar with the Are You Talking REM Re-Me podcast. I need to ask you up top, you consumed a lot of Scott Ackerman and Adam Scott content and one uh, autumn into spring, it took you so long to, to listen to all these shows that I had already listened to. And you felt like for some reason you needed to take it upon yourself. Uh, what was that experience like listening to a podcast about a band that you didn't really know with Scott Ackerman, who you don't really like, and with Adam Scott, who existed? Well, that's what I was going to say. I love Scott and I hate Scott. <laughs> so, I mean... I have all of this information about a band I have not listened to since I finished that podcast. I, the other day, I was even trying to remember the name of Wolves, comma, lower, 
and I was so stressed about it. And I was like, I hate that I even know what this is. I can't remember it. Well, because Wolf's Comma Lower was on R.E.M.'s first EP released in 1982. This is... It's not even the song. It's just where they mentioned it all the time. It's like (laughs) those references like that and stained glass are just in my brain now. You hit me with a text a few days ago referencing the song Binky the Doormat, which when you sent it to me, I was like, there's no way that's what the song is actually called. And then I fact-checked and you were correct. So you're this 22-year-old woman walking around life with this knowledge for a band that you don't really like. And I feel like I'm, I'm responsible. If anything, this is an apology to you for having uh, led you down the path of mass REM consumption. Yeah, I mean, you are responsible. I would not have done it had I not known you. That's kind of what I was, I was curious about. Uh, you know, a lot of this show was asking people about their musical upbringings, maybe what uh, some of the early sounds were in their house that they heard. Uh, for you, I, I, I will say I know you better than most of my guests, and I feel like you were on this very normal path of enjoying media, listening to media. The things you liked were very normal. You had a big One Direction phase. Is this correct? Yeah, that's right. It's still going on. <laughs> One Direction, Harry Styles, Taylor Swift. These were all things that you liked, and those are very normal things to like. And then you met me in the spring of 2016, and I feel like you took a hard left into perhaps embracing the tones of a Chris Farron or listening to a Scott Ackerman podcast. And I'm curious, what sort of artists, other than maybe R.E.M., uh, stick out to you as things that I've directly introduced you to? I don't say this uh, to, uh, I'm not bragging by any means, but I'm just curious because you went through like a very mainstream path to listen and consume all these things, and then things went awry. The ones, I mean, there's a lot, but I know for sure the Silver Jews, because I would never have found them on my own. And then one time in Muncie, Indiana, when I went to a record store and bought the record, the guy who owned the shop was like, oh, this is like real music. And at that point, I was like, I'm cool. This guy, like, he's saying I'm cool, so I know real music. So that was probably the first, like, not a lot of people know this, but I do, moment that I know I wouldn't have gotten had you not introduced me to that one. Yes, yeah, Silver Jews is a... Like, oh, go ahead, yes. Well, I was going to say, like, I already... I knew who the Smiths were. Like, I saw Perks of, or the Wallflower movie. Like Perks of I being knew. a Wallflower. It is Perks of being a Wallflower? Yeah. Okay. Um, sorry, <laughs> a movie, a movie I have not seen, but a movie that I at least know the title to. I, like, I just remember it freshman year. Like, every sad kid knew it. Um, and you so were one of those kids yes <laughs> yeah. so it's like that I knew but then like you introduced me like to a whole new level of what that was like of knowing more than just asleep yeah I you caught me at an interesting time in my life where I was just so heavily into the Smiths and Morrissey and it's not necessarily that that has changed but I don't find them maybe at the top of my playlist anymore although Earlier today, I was going through what I consider to be some of the more underrated Morrissey songs, and it was like, guys, I know, I know he's a pain to deal with, but like, have you heard this stuff? Like, oh my God, he's, he's incredible. He's the best. And it, it kind of, 
led me to, to thinking about, I once made you stand outside for three and a half hours during a, uh, a November in Chicago to wait to see Morrissey. And I was kind of wondering, did you think it was cool when I cried when Morrissey came out? Was that a big moment for you? Well, okay, so at the time, I was like, oh my god, this is so sweet. And then after, I was like, wow, that was, that was a little different. It's not... And I was a, like, he's so happy. It's, it's a story that I've become more comfortable with recently because I've finally been able to process my emotions from it, which I think what I was feeling at that moment was shock that Morrissey showed up uh, to Chicago in winter and didn't cancel his show. But it's like... You know, we once saw the front bottoms in a very intimate setting. And, like, if I bumped into the front bottoms tomorrow, I'd be excited. But they're people. They're from Jersey. Like, it's not that exciting. But when I saw Morrissey and his sequin vest walk out on stage, it's like, oh, my God, that's Morrissey. Are you kidding me? Like, I don't know what other emotion to feel right now. I'm just going to start crying all of a sudden. And then I remember you tugging on my sleeve in this back Riviera theater going, are you crying? And I was like, I, I don't know. And then I cried again when he played How Soon Is Now. I couldn't help it. But uh, yeah, I was looking to get some intel on that about three years after the fact, how that registered with you emotionally. Well, I mean, the other thing I remember from it that you might not remember is we had waited so long. So we were kind of towards like the first people to get in. And there was like the main like I guess it's like the pit area. It would be the pit, and yeah. And then there's like a couple of stairs, and then there was like another section you could stand in. And we were going to like go towards the pit, but then you like realized like, oh, she can't see. She's like too short if we stand in the crowd. So we had to go back up and like stand further, like against this rail, way further away than we could have been because I was too short to see anything. So I think at that point, I even felt bad that I was like, oh, God, we can't get as close as he'd like to be. And so I think when he cried, it was like, oh, he's fine. He's happy. He doesn't care. I don't hold any contempt over that because I was happy with the spot that we ended up getting. I, I know we were close to other young people, which made me feel nice. I think there was a girl with her mom there, and she was a little bit younger than us. I was like, all right, we're not – the youngest people at this Morrissey show, which is nice. I also remember uh, there was a whole ordeal with the security guards before the show of like, you aren't allowed to step over this line. It's a fire safety. If you step over this line, we might ask you to leave. Like, don't mess with us. And they policed that to such a heavy extent. And then in the middle of the show, a fight broke out in the pit. And this guy was hoisted by his shirt collar and thrown against the wall of the Riviera Theater. And security did nothing. And I was blown away by this that they they saw this jacked up like 280 pound guy just about to murder a much much smaller man and they just kind of stood there with their hands behind their backs that's what that's maybe the most violent thing i've ever seen in person i i remember because i got freaked out because we were pretty close to that fight and i'm like oh no what if he like sees me looking like if he can throw that guy he can just like throw me like a frisbee across this place Luckily, uh, my adrenaline was pumping so high that night. I think I could have protected you in the in the uh, I guess in the spirit of Morrissey. I, I would have been able to fend off any attackers. I also, now that I'm thinking about it, Morrissey did point at us that night. Do you remember this? 
kind now that you say it I do but I didn't remember it prior but I do yeah. remember that man Something was singing uh, uh, Jackie's Only Happy When She's Up on Stage, pointing towards the exits. And I swear to God, that man pointed directly at us. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that song because he kept saying, we were standing by the exit. That's why he pointed at us. I, I understand your reasoning behind it. I'm choosing to believe that he saw two good looking young people in the crowd. I was like, I gotta, I gotta give them a shout out. I remember too, because he didn't have, I don't think he had like, a, like an intro band. No, he did not have an opener, no. It was just like a really confusing video for like 45 minutes. This is something that it, it's like Morrissey fans that like care about Morrissey, they they know about the video. What happens is he'll play like a big show at the Hollywood Bowl or something and people won't be clued into the fact that Morrissey's opening act is a 30-minute it's, it's essentially a YouTube compilation of videos that Morrissey likes. So it's like the Ramones play a song, and then he cuts to like a K-pop band covering How Soon Is Now, and then civil rights activist James Baldwin speaks to the crowd for a second. And it's just, it's like a TikTok compilation of everything that Morrissey likes, and then he comes out on stage, but people don't realize that. I think I had given you the heads up like, hey, it's going to be a minute, but I'll read tweets of like, can't believe Morrissey's stalling. We've been watching this animal rights video for 15 minutes. And people get very upset by that. I mean, the K-pop group was pretty good from what I remember. They kind of stole the so show. I that was, like, uh, that was excellent. But that's, a, I think I didn't remember any of those things from the video like you just did, <laughs> but the K I do remember the K-pop group being pretty cool. <laughs> I want to talk about the music you're listening to now. Obviously, everything is in turmoil. We are dealing with a pandemic. Uh, recently, you let me know, and you, you said in such a very braggadocious way, that you are someone that gets the national. Not everybody gets the national, but you get the national. What draws you to this band? Oh, I mean, like, 40-year-olds love them. So that means a 22-year-old should. <laughs> Have they been your, your primary go-to band? What are some of the artists now, just broadly speaking? I know uh, you were in love with Folklore when it came out. You're really under the national. What else is around there that you're listening to right now? Great question. Honestly, because I still do the thing where I make playlists for every month of what I'm listening to. Um, honestly, let me just, can I pull one up real quick? Please pull up a Spotify playlist. I'd be more than happy to hear some of the artists on here. Um, okay. So a lot of national on October's playlist. Which is fair. They're an autumn sounding band. Yeah. I mean, I've been dabbling with car seat headrest. Can't really, like, I, 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 I'm questioning that because car seat headrest seems like a band that might yell a little bit. And I know that is typically a disqualifier for you. Well, that's the thing. I don't like the songs where they yell, but the other ones, I'm okay with. <laughs> <laughs> this is this was a, a frequent point of contention. Any any growl, any gargle, any raspiness, it would typically get the skip when when I would be in Madeline's uh, mini bug or uh, the uh, what, what was it a Ford Passat? Is that where you were? No, not a Ford Passat. That's okay, not a thing. Both of, the, both of those you just said were cars I did not have. <laughs> <laughs> what were you I driving had, what's this is a new segment what's your driving history i had a mini cooper when i was like 
17 to 20-ish. And then I got a Ford Escape. <laughs> Ford Escape, that's what it was. Yeah, no Touche Amore, and that car was not allowed. I remember the rules well. But other than car seat headrest, the Nashville, is there any, any, any notable artist that you feel like maybe you could flex on and say, like, hey, I'm not just this mainstream uh, uh, person? Um, no. <laughs> I, I've like, I'm going, I'm trying to go through it and it's like, these are all either songs. It's either Taylor Swift or The National, I'll be honest. There's like a random couple of things thrown in there, but sorry that I didn't give a great answer to any of that. No, 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 no. That, that you, by all means, it's, did your job. It's still folklore for me of... I still haven't given up on that one, so. Yeah, I think more than anybody I know, folklore connected with you, which is always a positive when you can find great solace in any sort of art. The other thing that I want to talk about before the album that we're talking about today, which is Orville Peck's Pony, you are someone uh, that has meticulously combed through the IMDb page of Adam Driver, and you have created the Adam Designated Driver Project. This has nothing to do with music, but I know you've been looking for a platform to talk about this. I need to know, why have you dedicated yourself to watching literally everything Adam Driver has ever been in? So it started December of last year. <laughs> I was sitting in the theater, and I saw Rise of Skywalker like two days after Christmas. And I was like, oh my God, is he kind of cute? And then I was like, I don't know, he's kind of got weird teeth. But then I was like, let me, I've like seen some of his other movies. Let's just like see what's out there. And then I just fell in a rabbit hole and have watched, I think I have maybe two or three movies left, but some of them are like roles where he's only in it for like two minutes. So it's like, I don't know if I want to watch Lincoln for like two minutes of this guy. When we talk about essential Adam Driver works, let's say someone was born yesterday, they need to check out the driver. What are two or three movies or TV shows that you're pointing them in the direction to say, this is Adam Driver at his finest? So the first, if you're going to go for a show, I would, I mean, his only show is Girls, so that's your only option if you want an Adam Driver TV show, which I loved the show because every, everyone is problematic in it. I know that. I can emphasize. I know it's flaws. But something about it is just still interesting. Because it's kind of like you get to watch people still screw up in a way that's different from you. So you kind of feel better about yourself in a way. Because it's like, at least I'm not doing that. Um, so if you like that type of thing, start there. Um, when it comes to movies, my favorite one of his is Black Klansman. And that's been true since it came out. I even remember, because it came out in 2018, and I actually remember talking to you in sociology about it, of like, you got to watch this. Well, not in 2018. So we would have graduated high school by that point. I remember you telling me about it probably at your house and me going, I got to watch this movie. And now two years later, I have not watched that movie. Oh, you're right. Why did I think I told you that in sociology? <laughs> unless unless you got held back for a little bit and I was not aware. Did I tell you to watch something else similar? <laughs> I think so, because that is uh, we met in a sociology class uh, that 
I think drastically impacted our futures in ways that we probably can't even comprehend. That class was full of characters that I, I, uh, some of them I'm happy to think about. Some of them uh, are nightmares of the past. I will co-sign your opinion on girls. I think it's a show of awful people that is really entertaining to watch. You let me know about that this summer. Uh, kind of, uh, you basically said, I need you to watch this because I need your opinion on it because I know you will have an opinion on it. And I watched all six seasons in one week, which is much faster than I typically <laughs> watch TV shows. I This is uh, more of a, a broad statement. You saved yourself a little bit by by pointing out how great Black Klansman is. You did spend your summer of 2020 watching Girls and Brooklyn Nine-Nine. A very bold move. Would you like to defend that decision? Okay. First of all, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, not that kind of show. It's like they happen to be cops, but they're not, like, they're cool. <laughs> they're, they're, it's the good guys. They're fine. <laughs> if that was how every police department was, we'd be fine. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, I know, two, like, not on-topic shows to get really invested in. I was just surprised the notoriously white girls, the cop show Brooklyn died out. I was like, hey, uh, yeah, everybody's zigging, Madeline zagging. I really like, I really like that mantra, more power to you. It wasn't on purpose. It just like happened. Hey, you know, I, I mean, I it watched, happens. I watched Marriage Story a few times too. So I don't know if that fits into the narrative. <laughs> It doesn't help. I will say that. It does not help. I don't know if it hurts, but you're not, you're not reverting back to anything with Marriage Story. Uh, that is, I think, a great encapsulation of you, someone that, that really likes One Direction, that really likes Taylor Swift, that had to listen to a lot of The Smiths in 2017 and 2018, and you've come out, I think, better off for it now that maybe they're not dominating your life as much. But there is the artist that we're here to talk about today. That is... Orville Peck, his debut album, Pony, which was released on March 22nd, 2019. I'm curious because I know, speaking of Harry Styles, that he was slated to play Madison Square Garden this Halloween and Orville Peck was supposed to open for him. So I'm assuming Orville Peck was on your radar at that point. I have a very vivid memory of talking to you earlier this year and what I think I did was I introduced you to Orville Peck and his music. Is that correct? Yes, and I also just want to circle back real quick. You said I'm better off now after having gone through the Smiths and all that turmoil. All I do is watch Adam Driver movies now, so I don't, that's up for debate if I'm better off now than I was before. I think it's but what, what of, doesn't kill you makes you stronger, I think is the logic I was using there, but I do see the reservation that you have. I think it's like what didn't kill me just made me switch to another thing that might kill me. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, you did, I think it was in March. It, w it was because it was like right before COVID panic. Because it, it was, it, it, yeah, was it was during COVID panic. Because I, I, I will say, I remember I was at the Second City that day. I was, you know, scheduled to take an improv class at nine in the morning and an acting class that afternoon. And, you know, just have a, a great time with this comedic institution. And we kind of got there that day and just had a big, like, come to Jesus meeting about, hey, everything we've been working really hard on for the last two months forget about it. Uh, we have this pandemic coming. It's not going to be good. And that was a very sobering day. And I remember being on the train 
going like, you know who I haven't talked to in a minute? And this is at a time, early stages of the pandemic, where we were afraid of this virus. Now we've learned to live with it, and our uh, emergency workers and first responders are stuck taking care of hundreds of thousands of people a day, a day that have just decided that it no longer exists. But there, there was a point in time where this country was very scared of what this virus could do. I remember being on the brown line, kind of resting my head against the window, looking out into the golden hour Chicago sunset, going... Well, I know who likes golden hours, and you know who I haven't talked to in a minute, Madeline Pitt. And uh, I texted you that afternoon. I was like, hey, just things good? Are you doing all right? Is everything all right here? This seems like a really stressful time for everybody. And I know you had, like, your emergency date of, like, things need to be fine by here. And that was the Harry Styles concert this summer that obviously did not happen. I, earlier that week had bought tickets to a Front Bottoms, Jimmy Eat World, Joyce Manor show. And I was like, well, things will be fine by then. I mean, the Front Bottoms are going to be there. Uh, not the case at all. But I do remember being like, you know, this Orville Peck guy, cowboy, wears a mask, deep voice. These all seem like things you would like. Yeah, I mean, he set the standard of the mask wearing before we even knew we'd need them. <laughs> but yeah, no, I remember because I'm... I, I was panicked because I was like, am I, am I about to lose my job? And then I did. Yes. Um, yes. Technically, my con technically, my contract was ending anyway. So it's like, there was a chance I wasn't even going to have a job regardless. Um, but I do remember, because I had, they moved me around apartments a lot and I had just gotten a new desk area. And I remember I'm like, I'm just going to like pop in my AirPods while I'm unpacking everything, even though I had to pack it right back up. Um, and I was like, oh, this is like pretty good. This is kind of weird. Kind of sounds like Elvis. Kind of sounds like a cowboy. Kind of into it. I think that's a, a very fair assessment of the Orville Peck sound. And I think that's something you can immediately identify as we break down the album. The opening track is Dead of Night. It is one of the six singles on this 12 song album, 12 songs, 41 minutes, six singles, as it seemed like the longer this record cycle went on, the more and more it picked up steam. Like I said, it was released in March of last year, but it, it really felt like a turning point in June or July where I was like, oh my God, we have to pay attention to this Orville Peck guy. Like he's really doing something different. And I think his sound is exactly identified and personified and executed to uh, such an, an incredible extent on Dead of Night, which is the opener. Stark Hollow Town, Carson City Lights. Baby, let's get high, spend Johnny's cash, it's another it's fair to say if you don't like this opener move on from the album because you've got 11 more songs of this and if the opener is not for you it's not going to get much better yeah I think that's fair because I feel like it kind of has all of there's like a little bit of an element in each of the following songs that's in dead of night so I do think if it's it, it doesn't get per se better if you don't like it Orville Peck, known for being a, a queer Canadian cowboy country singer, a lot of this album 
revolves and dead of night being one of them about uh this this cowboy's essentially his journeys uh through his relationships but also the wild wild west an album that i really liked as soon as i heard it not necessarily stories i related to like we just covered a joyce manor album on the show I understood those stories. Angry kids in the suburbs wanting to make loud music. I got that. I know that. Orville Peck, I had a bit of a separation here. I really respect what he did. I like what he did. I did not find myself necessarily having a great emotional connection to a lot of these songs. Is that perhaps where we differ? I, because here's the thing. I can't relate to any of the words you just used to describe him. So I don't know if it's just that I listened to it and I was like, I bet I could wear a cowgirl hat. And maybe it was just like a feeling of I could pull off this vibe if needed. But for some reason, even though I can't relate to the stories, it's like, no, I like, I get this album. I get it. I think that's entirely fair. I think that is the same perspective that I come from. And, and there's, you know, I, I will talk a little bit more as we go through the album of maybe some of the sequencing issues that I have. Sequencing, not something I typically bring up on the show. I think most records we talk about do an all right job. I have some qualms with it on Pony because, you know, tracks two, three, and four, Winds Change, Turn to Hate, and Buffalo Run, we get these very upbeat tracks that I think for the most part are very good. I really like Winds Change. I really like Turn to Hate. That was my introduction to Orville Peck. I was in the car with my mother. We heard that song on the radio after coming back. Uh, Madeline, you will understand this. We came back from dinner at Murphy's, a signature <laughs> at my family's house. And uh, I was driving my mom home and heard this spooky cowboy on the radio and turned it up. I believe she was indifferent. I was a big fan. But I I'm curious as we kind of lump these three <laughs> songs together here with Winds Change, Turn to Hate, and buffalo run is there any one of those three that really jumps out to you as a great song um there's one that well also hang on <laughs> i just remembered now that one time your mom said music just sounds like noise to me so it's not surprising that she didn't love turn to hate i think of those three that you just mentioned i really like probably turn to hate the best I don't like Buffalo Run. You don't like Buffalo Run. Now, it's a song that I was not feeling either. One that I thought prior to sitting down and kind of breaking down these songs, I was like, well, I, I've heard that before. I bet that's all right. One that did not connect with me at all on the listens I had preparing for this podcast. There's something about it specifically that you're not a fan of. Yes. Um, it sounds like a stampede, which I guess is the point of the song, but it makes me so anxious like, it just keeps building and building and building, and it's like nothing is happening. And I just I, don't like the way it makes me feel. I think that's <laughs> my a least very, favorite song of the whole album. That's a very good assessment of Buffalo Run. I think that might have might have pinpointed what exactly it is that I don't like about it. I'll say for Turn to Hate, I obviously heard that song on the radio. It had some sort of uh, pop sensibility. And I think in a record that is coded with country tropes, which is not a bad thing. I think it's a good thing that he leaned in to almost a stereotype of country music at points. Turn to Hate is the one where I think it's probably the most accessible song on the album. Don't leave, don't cry. You're just another boy caught in the
if you were going to introduce someone to Orville Peck that didn't know him, would you start with Turn to Hate? Yes, based on that, but I would probably pick Roses Are Falling only because that's my favorite song on the album. So I feel like if I'm going to introduce someone to something, I usually pick my favorite first. So I would probably pick that, but I don't think, I think Turn to Hate would be a good intro. But I even think kind of of what you said of, if you don't like Dead of Night, you're not going to like the rest of it. So I feel like even just starting off with number one is a good way to go. We will get to Roses Are Falling. I have a lot of thoughts on that song. Uh, I, I would probably start with Turn to Hate or the one that you just mentioned. One that I, I would not start with, although it is a song that I like, is Queen of the Rodeo. Have you ever at any point in your life described yourself as such? Yes. I was at a country concert. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you felt like shouting out that you were queen of the rodeo that is that is tremendous it's well I was gonna say it was that I it was with my dad like I surprised him with tickets it's like one of the few really nice things I've done in my life is giving him these surprise tickets but I had stopped at party city and got these tiny miniature cowboy hats for us to wear and Late in the night, I thought those were hilarious <laughs> during, like, no one cared. No one even saw them. But I had this, like, tiny little, like, Woody from Toy Story cowboy hat on. So, yeah, I was queen of the rodeo with that vibe going on. I can't argue that at all. You know, Queen of the Rodeo, the song says, you rode in with nowhere else to go. You know the tune, so the words don't matter. Beyond this town lies a life much sadder. And I'm curious if perhaps that spoke to you at all, because you're someone that, with the exception of a year where you lived an hour away from your current house, I'm not going to say you're landlocked. I don't think that's fair, but... I, from what I know about you, you seem like someone that really wants to travel that has perhaps been stuck in the same place for a long time. I'm not necessarily saying you have to ride out uh, to the West Coast on a horse, but is that aligned, the, the idea of traveling to a life perhaps much, much better, just different than what you have? Is that a line that appeals to you at all? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, I've stayed here partially by choice, so I do, I know that's on me, but I, th- I think so, that idea of wanting to see what else is out there even if it's sadder <laughs> is kansas on your list of uh places to go because what follows is kansas remembers me now and i'm just curious so you're i know you're very familiar with kentucky are you familiar with kansas at all <laughs> um no but i love this song though <laughs> You like this song, so I'm curious, because there's a cluster here, as we kind of break this album up by clusters, where you know, Kansas Remembers Me Now, Old River, and Big Sky. These are, are some slower songs that perhaps didn't grab me as much, but what is it about you, or what, what is it to you, that you really like about Kansas Remembers Me Now? Well, I mean, he kind of has like an older country music sounding voice anyway, but I think this song is the, like, the, probably out of the album, the song that sounds most vintage, I guess I'd say. And I just really like the way, so I just like the way that sounds. And especially at the end where it has that, like, static kind of sound, it's almost disorienting. And I just feel like this song, it just almost has, like, a trance in a way. There's so something... <laughs> 
there's something very cinematic about this album. I think that's a fair yeah. way to, to put on it. It I, is even in my notes I said that I think I think it's true of all of his songs, but I feel like every song could have a really good music video. <laughs> <laughs> and I think luckily with Orville Peck, his image, his aesthetic, he has accomplished that to some degree, both on, on this album and then his EP that came out in 2020, or he was dancing in fire with Shania Twain. Obviously, he has an aesthetic that he's looking for, and he seems to knock it out of the park. Old River is sort of a filler song, one-minute interlude as you kind of break up the album by the first half of the second half. The song Big Sky, however, it, it stood out to me because I was reading an interview with Orville Peck, and he was being asked about this song, and he said the reason it's called Big Sky is that if he had to title a biography about himself, he would call it Big Sky. Now, I'm well-versed in Madeline Penn lore, I know all about uh, your dream to host a talk show called Penmanship. I'm curious if you had to name, I, name a biography about yourself. Are you sticking with Penmanship? Or are you changing it up? What is your version of a big sky? I mean, Penmanship is just so good that I don't feel like I need to switch it up to anything else. It just kind of covers all bases. It's partially my name. And really, that's it. It's just, but I did get to partially live out my dream of hosting. Please tell I went me. To, yeah, I was in, it was when I went to New York last September and I did the NBC tour. And at the end, they let you make your own little show. And so I, they like, where you like get to, to do your own like little talk show. I have like the email somewhere of this video that I think everyone else deleted except for me. Because they were like, okay, I need a host. And my hand just like shot up. It was like the one, I've never been this confident in my life. I was going to say, I, I I'm had, glad like, that your back. hand shot up instead of like you like for, like trying to like suppress your own vote. Instead, you shot your hand up. That's good to hear. I mean, I was 100% the youngest person in this group, any this like tour group on like a Monday at like, <laughs> you know, midday. <laughs> But so they give you like a prompt, but like you basically get to host like a mini tonight show. And I like watched back the video and I was like, I killed it. I like could not have done better at hosting. I just really hope Lauren saw it. If anything, Lauren is constantly scouting the NBC tour uh, talk show to see if he can find a diamond in the rough. I, I would encourage you to follow up with Lauren there. I do want to talk about the song Roses Are Falling For You, which you said was your favorite song in the album. It is my favorite song on the album. Uh, you once told me, and I have the exact quote here. I made sure to transcribe you properly. <laughs> you said, when I want country, I want the pleasure of a slide guitar and the absence of chewing tobacco. And I feel like Roses Are Falling is the definition <laughs> of what you're looking for. <laughs> I'm kind of funny. That's a good one. <laughs> That's going in penmanship. <laughs> what, is it, what is it about this song no, I that just, you really like? I just think it's beautiful. It's just, the lyrics are pretty. It sounds pretty. There's like 
towards the beginning before it gets to the chorus, there's like a way he does his breath where it's almost like he has a shortness of breath as he's listing all of these things. And then it goes into this pretty long verse. Forgive me if I'm using the wrong terms. And it just, I just love the way it flows. I think your use of verse there is correct. I'm not going to throw up a red flag there. I think you nailed it. More power to you. I do want to talk about the song also as we continue along on the journey. Take you back, the Iron Hoof Cattle Call. Now, this is a song where, unlike Buffalo Stampede, I was like, I, I don't know if that's a song that I like all that much. And then I was sitting down listening to this album quite a bit over the past week as we prepared to do the show. I uh, fell deeply in love with this song. I, there was something about it. It felt like uh, perhaps the most gimmicky song on the record, and Orville Peck straddles a fine line anyways of, of not – being a gimmick, being a legitimate artist. And he really dove into the banjos and more of an acoustic sound here, but it blew me away. I am now fully on board with thinking this is one of the better songs on the record. This is the song that made me think that I think it's true of all of his songs, but this would be a fantastic music video. <laughs> um, I just, I think it's just a fun sounding song. Uh, my favorite lyric in it is this town is always baby, including you. So I think it's almost like, kind of funny it's <laughs> a nice I just, line i like the way it definitely is probably the most gimmicky <laughs> it's definitely probably probably the most gimmicky but i i like the way it sounds it sounds like still like an older country you know like those old country songs that i think one of them it's like marty robbins big iron where it's like a story it, it has that similar those similar elements to it I think that is a tremendous comparison. I think that's exactly what it is. If this album was loaded up with songs like this, I, I don't think it would have had the same amount of success because I think you could write it off as, again, something like a gimmick. But having only one song like this, I think it really shines bright on an album that I, I love this back half because then you have the song Hope to Die. Now, I, I, I do want to... Uh, pull up some journalism here from a source that I trust a lot. One that I know you have your opinions about this publication, but the Australian skateboarder, uh, Dane Berman skated to this song in a video part recently. And it led me to thinking, you know, about Orville Peck's Thrasher magazine interview. A lot of this show, as I found out, is people talking about bands they've discovered through skateboarding. We'll find out if you have that similarity at all, but I thought you would uh, at least enjoy this statement from Orville Peck when Thrasher magazine asked uh, if he found a lot of music directly through skateboarding. And Peck said, definitely, I learned about the misfits and bands like The Cure through skateboarding. I know you love the cure, but I don't think you learned about them through skateboarding. Is that fair to say? That's, that's fair. I don't, I don't think I've learned a lot about skateboarding except things I don't like. <laughs> no offense. Hey, it's not for everybody. It should be, but it's not. And I've lost that battle. I understand. No, I, I love hope to die, but not because anything to do with skateboarding. Well, please, I'd like to hear a thesis on why this is such a great song if it has nothing to do with skateboarding. I think, it, see, I think this song is like a true ballad. And I think that there's other like slower songs on the album, but this one is like, he really goes for it, especially towards the end with all of those notes and stuff. 
all of those notes and stuff uh tremendous analysis and i i I would agree with that but i do think the final song on the album nothing nothing fades like the light is perhaps even a better version of that it is one that really stood out to me uh the lines some some say i should learn to cry but i only learn how to fight and i know everything must die but nothing fades like the light it is weird to think that Orville Peck, this fun-loving mass cowboy, created what is really, after analyzing it, a pretty depressing album. Yeah. Yeah, I would say I think so. I think it's a really good way to end the album. It almost sounds like, I thought it almost sounds lullaby-like, even though the lyrics are sad, but like the way it sounds, because then it like led me to think, and this is probably going to sound really stupid, but it's like, it starts with like dead of night, which almost feels like it's leading into like a sunrise. Then you go through all these songs and then the end of fading, like the light circles back, like the sunrise and like sunset. It felt like that whole album, it goes through every part of the day of your nighttime song. Oh, I'm so mad at myself for even writing that down and thinking I could explain it. No, no, no. I think I think that is tremendous. While you're in your deeply metaphorical state of view, would you like to speak on how I believe it is REM's Uberlin that you think is written about Hurricane Katrina? Would you like to expand on that thesis at all? Yeah, that song is a hundred percent about <laughs> Katrina. <laughs> um, it's it's, it's, it's oh my heart, not Uberlin. I do apologize. Oh. Yeah, you're right. I didn't even correct you. I was like, uh, he's got it. <laughs> no, it's Oh My Heart is 100% about Katrina. It mentions how, like, the government came, something about a storm, and there's, like, specific, like, French horns in it. It's, like, definitely about Katrina. <laughs> I support that theory. I support your theory on this album as a whole of it essentially taking place uh, throughout one entire day. I think that's brilliant. That is something I had not thought about. I'm glad you brought that to the show. That is a good take. And we have now comprehensively and encyclopedically broken down Orville Peck's pony. Madeline, I'm going to ask you a very open-ended question. I know this is perhaps not your strong suit, but I want you to trust your instincts here. When we talk about Orville Peck's pony... Who needs to hear this album and why? Like a specific person or just like in general? Like someone what, that Whatever you, know, you think or... the answer is. Whatever you think the right answer is, that is the answer. I guess anyone who's into like cowboys needs to listen to it. I, I think that's a great answer. School, I guess like anyone going to school in Utah right now should probably listen to it. Uh, I, I'll have to check our numbers in Utah to see how we are doing, but I think that is a fair assessment. If you if you want to uh, dive into a cowboy phase like I did last year. I guess, I guess, too, like, if you don't hate the way country music sounds, but don't like some of the elements that are in country music, like drinking references or partying or pickup trucks if that's not your thing but you like a banjo this is your guy that is absolutely tremendous i completely co-signed that madeline congratulations you have broken down orville peck's pony before we go is there anything you would like to plug um no no 
Fantastic. Well, as always, I'm up on Twitter and Instagram at underscore caselow, C-A-S-E-L-O-W-A. The podcast itself can be found on Instagram at Art School Albums. Madeline, thank you for coming on the one-year anniversary of this show. I'm so glad we could finally sit down over Zoom and have a conversation about an album that we both deeply enjoy. This has been the Art School Albums podcast, and this has been Orville Peck's Pony. Thank you.